Thank you so much, Ankur, for doing this for me. It's a pleasure, Sufarna. Thank you so much for having me. So first things first, what does entrepreneurship mean to you? <laughs> uh, I like the question. For, for me, entrepreneurship is definitely not a profession. I okay. consider it as a, as a mindset. Okay. And I often speak about the fact that to be an entrepreneur, you don't need to be owning a business. You don't need to have a startup. You don't need to have equity and so on. It's how you, you think about life, okay. which is uh, not taking the, the status quo as the reality. So okay. you're always challenging yourself. You're always thinking of whether what you have in front of you can be better designed, better reproduced, uh, looked at again. Uh, you're, you're never bothered about the 10,000 reasons why you shouldn't do something, but always driven by the one reason why you will succeed. Right. And you have the ability to get a, a tribe working towards that singular goal. Right. Uh, at least I know because I came from a corporate background and then became an entrepreneur that uh, I somehow felt that I was always an entrepreneur at heart and in mind. So even when I was working for someone else, I, I approached things very differently. And that's the feedback I got from my bosses, from my first managers. To take responsibility for whatever you're doing. Absolutely. And, and just to just to reimagine how things are, because hmm. India has this approach. Uh, but, but if someone comes in and says, Ki, aise kyun hoti hai? Like, why does it need to be this right. way? You suddenly start challenging things and you know, if you build a cult around it, if you build a tribe around it, um, then that's potentially an entrepreneur. Now, I'm blessed that I've taken it to the last mile where I'm blessed to have this company and, and so on. Sure. But for me, it's more of a mindset. I'm glad you mentioned this because unfortunately, the buzzword around as far as startups is concerned, everybody talks about valuation. Before yeah. you've actually launched your product or your idea or whatever it is, people are already getting into the, the kind of monies that they're going to raise. Yeah. What do you feel about that? Um, I you know it'll be a little hypocritical for me to say anything against it because I'm part of the bandwagon. Sure. But if I were to be honest, I think in the last two to three years, raising money suddenly became very fashionable when it didn't need to. Um, I always stand by the fact that the social responsibility of a business is to make profits. Mm -hmm. And if you are suddenly feeling that having awesome offices and having raised money is your claim to fame and not the true business that you've built and the ability for it to make money, you're definitely going down the wrong path. So what is it that you look for, you know, as an entrepreneur yourself or as an investor, what do you look for in an idea? For me, there are there essentially three things. Um, the first and the most important thing is the market that you want to play in. Um, people misunderstand the fact that a team can overcome a market, but I think that a, a bad team can still do well in a good market, Achha. but a good team cannot ever do well in a bad market. And okay. when I say market, I don't mean the sentiment. I mean, what's the opportunity you're going after? Mm -hmm. um, my first experience as an entrepreneur taught me the reality that a lot of problems that we think are problems in India mm -hmm. are not really problems. Okay. Uh, we think they are because you know, we these snooty people who are sitting in air-conditioned cabins and think that there is a problem outside in the offline world and so on. But when you genuinely deep dive, mm. you figure that it isn't really a problem. Mm. Simple example, um, when when we started uh, Gadi.com, which was my first venture, we figured that the the process of buying and selling used cars was a pain in India. Mm -hmm. Because you have to go into the sweltering heat and you have to figure out what car you want and so on. But we figured it's actually a very efficient process because if you had a budget in mind right. and you wanted to buy a used car, the network was so well established that all they had to do was pick up the phone and within half an hour you would have options in front of you. Sure. And then bringing that online 
was just a fashionable way. It wasn't solving any problem. Right. It was just fashionable to say, oh, we bought the entire process online. Okay. But it's generally not a problem. But it so can be scaled up further, right? From one, one portion, true. yeah. Absolutely. And that brings me, and I'm glad you mentioned that, that brings me to the second thing, which is once you've identified a problem, how big is that problem and how many people are impacted by it? Hmm. Uh, is it? Is it a problem that is only your problem? So it's again fashionable to say, scratch your own itch. If Correct. you have a problem, then start on that. I am not an ambassador of that because I feel that if you are just thinking of your own problem, you get consumed by it and most likely blinded by it. Right. Think of the problem from a true sense of it. How many people are genuinely impacted by this problem? That's interesting that you mentioned this, Ankur, because um, um, I've been you know, talking to a lot of people and uh, the sentiment that I got is that in the idea, the person again scratch your own itch if you are not really a true believer sure. or it doesn't affect you somewhere or the other you may tend to deviate after a while because entrepreneurship is not an easy ball game exactly. right you've got to be committed to it for a very long period of time exactly. so how would you address that I, I think what you're saying is right to a large extent that perseverance and commitment to that idea is perhaps the single biggest thing that an entrepreneur brings in but that doesn't necessarily need to be from get-go uh, at least personally speaking, I have fallen in love with the ideas I started working in. Okay. I wasn't married to them from day one. Okay. Uh, I've, I've grown to appreciate them, I've grown to respect them. And there were enough occasions where I spent enough time and figured this wasn't good enough. And I don't want to do it any further. At least personally, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I don't delve into the time that I've spent on doing something as the reason why I should continue doing it. Okay. So if I have worked on something and at some point of time it stops making sense, I will cut it and I'll move on to doing something else. That's how I've lived my life and I'm happy that I have. Uh, but that gives me the, the flexibility to just deep dive into something and over time see if I fall in love with that idea. Uh, Nearby is a great example. When I started the group on business in 2011, I had very little appreciation for what it takes for people to step out and consume the offline world. Okay. Uh, I used to do it as a consumer when you step into the mall and so on. Sure. But thinking of how does the entire decision happen in the consumer's mind? How do they decide where to go and eat? How do they decide where to go and shop? Which movie to watch? How soon do they do it from the time when they actually step out and so on? Mm -hmm. That's something that I grew to respect and appreciate over time. Mm -hmm. And once I did, I was completely consumed by it. Because now I just spend all my energy thinking about how can we make this process of stepping out more and more efficient. So whose idea was nearby? Well, uh, I, I wouldn't call it anyone's idea because you know, I, the Groupon started in 2008 in, in, uh, in the US, in Chicago. And uh, their idea was very simple that people love to save money. And when they step out in groups, there is a possibility for merchants to give a discount because there is guaranteed sales. That was a simple premise. Got it. Then it exploded across the world. Uh, and I think over time when I spent time into, into the space and uh, I, I built the Groupon India business, I figured that there needed to be a very different twist in the Indian context, which is there's so many options in front of us, right from the Thelawala down the street to the fine dining place that you can go to. And it becomes a, a massive choice game for the consumer. Hmm. Where should I go and eat? Or what should I do with my time and money? Right. I have time to kill and I want to meet my friends. So should I go to an entertainment parlor? Should I go for a movie? Should I go and drink? So on and so forth. And that problem then started consuming us, uh, which is what eventually became nearby.
Ankur, you mentioned the impact of the idea and the number of people that it is affecting. Uh, how important, according to you, is um, a value system woven into the DNA of an idea? I'm not talking about social impact or maybe even gender equity, you know, but just the culture or just you know how you actually do business. It, I'm so glad you asked this question, Suparna. It's rare people ask it, and I don't know why. Uh, I am an extremely strong believer in that. I think it's it's very easy for startups to to grow and be on this fast pace and have these cool offices and have this nice infrastructure and get all the nice happy colleges uh, students to work for them and so on but when shit happens the only thing that prevents the startup is the value system okay in fact not the startup when when bad things happen the only thing that keeps you grounded whether right. it's family whether it's relationships whether it's company or is the value system and it is shocking to me how that value system is missing from so many establishments that I come across every day right uh, they speak of it but they don't endorse it hmm. uh, it's it's not visible all across and it doesn't need to be superfluous it doesn't need to be all that oh poster and uh, Steve Correct. Jobs level pay. Or, yes, very functional yeah. straightforward so I'll give you a simple example uh, at nearby our value system is defined by three words that we live and breathe by every day respect ownership and performance okay so we are absolutely of the opinion that everyone is equal there doesn't need to be hierarchies built into the system there doesn't need to be certain mams being there respect is earned by conduct and not by title hmm. which is why you'll see the office is absolutely flat there is no CEO Agesh or manager Agesh so on and so forth everyone's respected when we go for off-sites we take everyone along including our office boys right Everyone drinks the same liquor, everyone dances to the same music, everyone stays in the same room and so on and right. so forth. Right, so if Ankur is making the buck, so is everybody else. Absolutely. And when Ankur stops making the buck, it's not that, that he is the only one who will take away all the monies and the rest of the guys will be sent a letter to say go back home. Exactly. That's what exactly. we're seeing, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we are, we're 253 people and uh, 237 of them have shares in the company. Um, and so we, we're, we're very generous with that. We want everyone to grow and right. get that done. Mm -hmm. uh, ownership, same thing. Performance, same thing. So these three words, very simply put, define the, the cultural ethos of this company. And every decision that we take, if it conflicts with either of these three, is never taken. Tell me three steps to success. What would they be? <laughs> well, that's. I, I wish I knew because then things would be different for us as well. Um, I'd like to believe uh, these would be the three steps to success. One is to always be honest and transparent. Um, it's, it's, it's a rarity to find nowadays. Is, does, is that prevalent? That's what I'm going to ask you. It's in not. India and, and the ecosystem that we're in, and especially uh, we're so familiar with the word jugar, yeah. cutting corners, yeah. stepping on toes. Yeah, yeah I, I don't like those things. So no, the, the unfortunate reality of, of India is we are all a result of um, a, a billion people and very limited opportunities. Right. And thus, an education or a value system that told us you will only be successful if you are able to trample someone else. You're not going to win because you're smart. You're going to win because someone else lost. Wow. And that's how our schools have taught us. That's how, unfortunately, engineering entrance exams are all about wow. and medical exams are all about. Key. On that exam day, it doesn't matter how good you are because there's so many of you that everyone can be good. 
So you almost have to pray that the topper has fallen sick because mm. that's the way you win. Right. And that sentiment is very anti, say, the valley where people are like, you only grow when you hold hands and move together. Mm. It's not unfortunately the case here. So I, I feel that in the, in the context of India, if you have the ability to be genuinely honest and transparent in mm. your conduct, mm. um, you suddenly have a cutting edge. Uh, it, it places you in a high pedestal, which is very hard to stand by, right. very hard to live by. Correct. But should you be able to do it, hmm. you are in the top order already. Already, uh, okay. And, and that at least has helped us a lot. Now, in our conversations, we are anything that is happening, whether we are we're running out of money, whether we have you know, enough money, whether we're facing a genuine problem or something else, everything is known to the company at all points of time. So honesty, you'd Honesty that and transparency, okay. that number transparency. one. Number two is perseverance. Um, and perseverance does not mean irrational optimism. It mm -hmm. means that you know that you're on the right path and you're not allow anyone else to disturb your conviction as long as you're convinced. Okay. Which is very different from irrational optimism I see enough entrepreneurs that mm -hmm. uh, that for me becomes foolish because if you if you're true to yourself, which is the honesty bit, hmm. then you wouldn't lie and say, yeah, nahin, it's not hmm. working out, let me not be a fool and just move on. So perseverance, which is, there are enough people in India, generally anywhere else, who will always discourage you. Correct. Will always say, yeah, chod, why are Correct. you doing this? You can easily get a job. You're smart. You have this, you have this, you have that. Sure. Why? People will give you 10,000 reasons why you should fail, but you need that one reason why you will succeed. Correct. That's very important. Yeah. And then the third thing for me, which is supremely critical is that you're always able to find, a, I wouldn't call it a family, but a team that knows how to work together. Hmm. So one big angst that I have is, it's fashionable again to call your startup a family. Hmm. But the minute I start calling my startup a family, hmm. I cannot do a lot of things that I would want to do. Hmm. I don't fire my dad because he's not a good dad. Correct. Uh, I don't hold my sister accountable for being the best How sister. How wonderful is that? I mean, I don't think anybody or a lot of people think about it like that. If yeah. you have something which is a dysfunction probably within your team, you don't just go ahead and say, okay, it's like a, a, you know, a rebellious child. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? So I, I, I want a professional team. I, I want to have a meaningful conversation with people saying, look, we're all in this because we're professionals. We're in this because we are meant to bring something valuable and the day we stop doing that, we're going to have a conversation about it. Right. And, but it's in your best interest to be at the best of your talent. It's in my best interest to provide you with that opportunity and let's make that work, uh, which, is, which is a very different. My next question in terms of the importance of co-founders yeah. in any enterprise. Yeah. I, have, uh, I do not know how single founders work. Like it, it, it's a hats off to them. I have the highest level of respect, but I am just not that person. For me, the founders that I have here, I cannot imagine doing this without them. Um, it's, it's a blessing that we connect so well, that it's not just about work. We bond beyond work. Our families know each other. We hang out together. We go on vacations together. We share a lot of our lives. But it looks together. like things are going all right. But when, when yeah. the you know the going exactly. isn't so good. And and I think the it's people ask me here. I'm looking for a co-founder. Where should I find one? And I'm like, the the question is equivalent to I'm looking for a wife. Where should I find? Right. One? How, how can I even answer that question? Right. Uh, it's 
you are, in fact, I would say finding a co-founder is harder because you're possibly going to spend 10, 12 hours with that individual for the next three to five years at least. Mm. Um, you need to be intellectually, emotionally, maturely married into that person. Mm. Mm. And uh, that's a very, very hard thing. And understandably, things don't work out. And there are differences, there are clashes, there are of opinions, of egos and whatnot. Mm. Um, and yeah, the, the startup then you know, suffers because of it. I've so seen enough cases. What would be the three dysfunctions that lead to you know, a collapse of an enterprise or not maybe uh, living up to its full potential? I, in, in no particular order, I would say that first, the leadership not being aligned, for sure. Okay. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it just the founders, but there is, there is some sort of a lack of chemistry between the leadership that inhibits mm. their ability to execute. That's number one. Number two is struggling to find what's fancily called the product market fit, which is what you've built. Is there enough market for that? Enough consumers are willing to, excuse me, pay for it. Enough consumers who want that product. Uh, if that is not established, then you're just smoking your own Kool-Aid. You're, you're mm -hmm. like, how many banadi and everyone wants it because you mm. think you've made it and Correct. everyone wants it, but no one really wants it. Mm. No one cares, mm. uh, which is the second thing. Which is the litmus test of whatever your idea is. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there's so many ways of doing that. And I think the, the one mistake that people make is they assume that the litmus test is something that happens right in the beginning and it happens fast. And if it does, then you have to scale. Mm. Um, I'll be the first one to admit that even after two years of nearby, we still haven't found the exact product that needs to work to make this happen. Wow. So we, we're still working our way through and we're more than happy to sign up for that process because it's not going to be easy and if we do dream of being a very large setup where every dollar in the offline world flows through us, uh, it's foolish for us to expect that it's going to happen in months and mm. it'll take years. Mm. I, I use this anecdote, I say, if, if you're thinking of going out for dinner and this evening and you're planning to spend an hour on that, how much time would you spend in selecting the place that you want to go to? Mm. And people generally say five, 10 minutes. I says, okay, great. So you're saying that you would spend about one sixth of the time in just finding or researching about the place you want to go through. Now, if you intend to work for six years on your startup, why would you not spend a year in just trying to figure out what you want to do? Right. So nearby is still figuring out? We're still figuring out. We're nowhere close. And I, I, I hope we never are because that keeps us anxious, that keeps us ahead of everyone else. It just keeps us worried that we have to crack this because someone else might and we might lose the game. Uh, and, and we love that pressure on us. Growth versus profitability. Very hard one. But if I were to just pick, I would say growth in the early years because you have to establish yourself. You have to get to a point where this is making sense and there's a flywheel effect. Once you get to that point, profitability, but with a very strong caveat that profitability is usually spoken about um, the true profit of the company, which is after you've paid for all the costs and everything and so on. But the important metric of profitability is what's called unit economics profitability, which is at every transaction level, are you losing money or are you making money? Okay. Because if you're losing money at a transaction level, then what's the hope in hell that you'll ever make money? Right. If you make money at the transaction level, but not enough to cover your fixed costs, your salary, your offices, and sure. so on, that's pardonable. Mm. Because in the early years, no one's expecting you to do that. But to live or execute a business where you're not even making money on every transaction, 
then you're essentially selling under cost. Mm. You know, you're buying something for 100 and selling it for 90. What's mm. the business is that? Anyone mm. can do that. It's mm. literally like paying 10 bucks to someone and getting a customer. Correct. Right. But if you get something for 100 and sell it for 110, mm. but that 10 rupees is not enough to cover for your salary and your fixed costs, you're mm. still okay. okay. Because eventually you'll make enough tens right. to cover for that. While the yardstick for success the world around is the kind of monies that you make, what does, how, how would Ankur Variku define success? How many consumers say that we love your product and we use it every day, week, month and so on? That's success. That, that's success for me. I, I, I am personally this, the, the kind of entrepreneur that would be moved by scale and impact. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have never picked up something that was small in size. Mm. I would have never picked up something that had uh, little impact. Mm. Uh, I'm nowhere close, but for me, the, the personal endeavor is always scale and impact. And that's why mm. the number of consumers who are saying that we mm. love using your product mm. every now and then mm. is for me the true measure of success. I love the way that you are very candid about the fact also that nearby is not anywhere nearby <laughs> the final product that you'd like to probably yeah. have in the market. Would you want to share some of your failures? Sure. Um, I think the, so failure for me is a very strong word. I, uh, I, I react not too well to that. So for me, failure is that we gave up. Um, there are a lot of losses, right? So I, I lose a race, which is very different from I failed in the race. Mm -hmm. um, incidentally, last year, and sorry, it's a you know, deviation from your question, but I'll come back to it. Um, failure is not celebrated in India for right. some weird reason. Right. Again, I think it's an outcome of everything that were our circumstances when we were a young nation. So last year, I, uh, I created a failure resume. Oh. Um, because our resumes are usually, I converted it and it says, this place rejected me. This place rejected me. This is where I screwed up. This is where I couldn't make it happen, so on and so forth. And it went viral. Um, I got a lot of very positive conversations flowing because of it because we like you no know, for the first time you know, people we, we can see relate you, to it exactly right? Right? we've seen you at this pedestrial and you like this Ankur Variko and so on we think you've done nothing wrong in life correct but clearly there are there's so many places where so that was know, an honest confession I thought it was, it was like hocus pocus it was absolutely <laughs> okay. like I, uh, I I tried two times to get into the IITs after my schooling didn't uh, not even once I, I tried applying into US universities that I wanted to didn't get through when I wanted to do my MBA, I wanted to go to the IIMs, I didn't get through. When I was uh, sitting wow, for my placements. Wow, you don't need to be an IIT, IIM grad or <laughs> a uni US Nothing. university grad Nothing. to reach where probably Ankur has <laughs> no. reached. And, yeah. I, I think that's the message. No? It's, it's like if you, if you have it in you and you know that you're true to yourself, then, then no one can stop that force. Right. Um, and how wonderful is that? So that? You know, a large amount of people can actually relate to you because a lot of times within your own constraints of the fact that oh i've been beaten and you know I, you know this i'm not meant for it and when you see somebody who you exactly. feel is successful has been through the grind themselves and yeah. continue to do that i yeah. think that's really cool and uh, that it, it encouraged me uh, i've been uh, i've been writing a lot i've I've maintained a blog now, which is in its 12th year. Mm -hmm. So I, I just chronicle my journey. I, I love, I've learned a lot from observing people, reading. So I feel that this is my way of giving back and, and that's how it's happened. But I'm extremely encouraged by how people respond to that. And it genuinely feels that there is a serious dearth of good quality mentorship and guidance in this country, right. uh, which we were speaking about before we started. And uh, it's just my small way of, of getting to, to there. So 
when I think of what have been the big failures while at, at Nearby and so on, I, I make this pompous statement, it sounds pompous, but I, I don't think I've ever failed in life because I've never given up. I've it, never given up. Because your perspective of failure is... It's very different. Yeah. It's a state of mind. For me, right. risk and failure is a state of mind. It's not an absolute. No one can qualify risk on a scale. No right. one can qualify risk on a, uh, a scale on or a scale. failure on a scale. And uh, I think it's it's in our head, which means if we have created it, we can destroy it too. Right. Um, I, I remember when I, I was coming back from the US, I had, uh, I'd always wanted to do a PhD. And for the last eight years, I'd been working very hard to, to get myself to, to do that. I wanted to become an astrophysicist, join NASA, become a space scientist, go to Mars. Everything was said and my world knew of that. Like my parents were proud of the fact that he will And I know all my relatives and my friends, school teachers, everyone knew that Anku Variku will go to NASA. Or we'll go to it. Mars. Or go to Mars. <laughs> so I, my, my dream was to be the first man on Mars. It still is. Uh, hopefully will uh, happen Inshallah. at some point in time. And I, I, I go to the US. Uh, it's a 100% scholarship. It's the second best university in the, in the country. Wow. I am uh, acing my exams. I am on a fast track to my PhD. My professors say that if it happens, it will be really fast and so on. But two years into it, I figured that I would be good at doing it, but I wasn't happy. Oh. Something had changed. Oh. And I remember at that point of time feeling that I cannot do this. To my own self because if i go through this i will commit myself to something that will not make me happy for the rest of my life so i took this call to come back to india and no one in my world understood that understandably because my parents were like what are you even talking about you always wanted to do this so how can you suddenly in two years change your mind and my my friends and family and no one genuinely understood what was going inside my mind and at that point of time i do remember being made to feel as if I was a failure for taking that decision. Mm -hmm. It's like, how can you give this up? You're such a loser. Right. Uh, but for me, it was, it was risk and failure, which didn't even feature in my mind. I was mm -hmm. like, it will be a far bigger failure on my part to not listen to myself and continue doing it, knowing that I will not be happy. Right. And I came back and I'm so glad I came back because life took a you know, happy new turn around that. But there are just so many instances like that. So you didn't like complete that. your doctorate? I didn't. No, I'm, I'm a PhD dropout, which mm. is now, by the way, a fancy <laughs> thing to say. But back then it was like, oh my God, what did you do in your life? Exactly, right? All these things. But you know, today when you're a dropout, you're like this cool thing. Yeah. You know? Everyone wants to talk to you. But so. you know what? I think this also uh, in, in itself has a few ramifications because the other day I was having a conversation with somebody and they were saying that, you know, it depends on what you want to draw uh, as a source of inspiration from uh, the mentors that you look up to or the role models because to say that Bill Gates was a dropout or you know Steve Jobs was a dropout but look at the other stuff that exactly. they did rather exactly. than you being just a dropout is not a stepping stone to success absolutely like just being a dropout is not a qualification hmm. it's, it's hmm. just a step in their life are we creating the right kind of role models especially as far as the Indian scenario is concerned honestly no I, I don't think so and and uh, no one should be blamed. So let's let's start with that. I'm I'm not suggesting that they're bad road models. I think the the pace at which the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem has shaped up has been far faster than our readiness to deal with it. So what's happened is in two, three years, four years, there's been just massive deluge of capital, ideas, startups waves of shutting down and waves of opening up and so on 
people don't even know how to deal with it. Mm. So the so-called role models are still figuring it out. Mm. Uh, so people embarrassingly call me a role model and I feel embarrassed because I haven't figured my shit out right mm. now. Like I'm still building it out mm. and it's gracious of people to think that I have something to offer but in my head, I think of myself as an imposter. I think that someone will just figure that I don't know anything <laughs> and I'm just here by some serendipitous uh, sequence of events. Are you? Yeah, and, and then just figure it out one day, right? So that, that's my biggest nightmare that I'm not meant to be here and people mm. will figure out that I don't have any content. Mm. So it's, I think it's, it, uh, I wrote about this recently that the thing that disturbs me the most right now, Suparna, is the media is selling this overnight success drug right. to people. Right. Um, case in example, I saw this so-called motivational poster right. which said, Hussein Bolt, Hussein Bolt has run for a total of 117 seconds mm. in all the Olympics and has earned 119 million My from God. it. So that's more than a million a second. Oh, and go and oh, and this how, is the best. how many hours has he exactly. sweated it out out there in the heat? No one's going to talk about that. No one's going to figure out what kind of a childhood did he have or the struggle he'd gone through his training and the, the injuries that he suffered. No Correct. One. So people are like, boss, one million per second is like the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I want to be there. Mm. And that's just such a wrong way of suggesting anyone what success is about. Right. Let's get into uh, your knowledge as far as startup jargon is concerned okay. and what your perspective essentially uh, to the word freemium is. <laughs> freemium is, is largely, uh, in my opinion, a, a smart way to build a software as a service product. Mm. Um, it's, it's the fact that you would offer something as a bare bone, bare shell, service mm. to someone, uh, call it a consumer, uh, they will begin to appreciate what the product does for them in that small environment to the extent that they're willing to sign up or pay for more services. And does that work? I think that works. I think that definitely works because one, it lowers the cost of adoption or experimentation. Mm. So people figure out what it is to use that product. Mm. And should the product be genuinely meaningful and uh, offers value at its you know, premium state or at its paid state, mm. then enough and more people will sign up. MVP? Minimum viable product. Um, Fancy term, I, I, I haven't wrapped my head around that, to be honest. Uh, it's, what's the bare minimum product that you need to ship out so that consumers know what you're up to? Correct. Uh, so that it speedens the time to ship, it speedens the time to get feedback and so on. I think people get into the trap and I've been a victim of that myself, so I wouldn't take myself out of the equation. Um, it's very hard to figure out what an MVP is. Okay. Um, because as an entrepreneur, I find it hard to dissociate or be emotionally not attached to the fact that why don't we build this thing also so that it becomes better for the consumer. Right. So the, the discipline of stopping right. at this point of time or knowing when to stop. Sure. Um, at least I, I haven't yet got to that point. So right. it's a little okay. imaginary for me. Bleeding edge. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Bleeding 
bleeding i i know what cutting edge is what is what is bleeding edge it's like you you you're losing so much money that you're at the bleeding edge of startups i don't know it's like we we we're, we're going to get there right now we're the first movers and we we've, we've got it all sorted out but yeah, yeah we still <laughs> and and it's and it's okay for us to lose you know Correct. large amounts of money yeah, and, and because, because we know what we're doing yeah, yeah. because you no know, we we're cool and so on <laughs> yeah don't don't endorse that no burn rate uh the amount of money that you lose every month simple and it's not about accounting loss it's about cash so cash is truly the only thing that an entrepreneur generally should care about beyond their product uh, because you need to have a very firm handle of how much money you're losing every month okay uh, and that's what the burn rate is right so uh, if you were to give one advice to um the ankur variku a decade back <laughs> what would that be wow um a decade back which is right after 2007 yeah, 2007 your very first entrepreneurial venture yeah so 2000 right right about the time i would now again it will sound pompous but i i think this would i would say that there are enough and more people who would say that the way you think is not going to work for you don't listen to them okay Don't listen to the people who are trying to bring you down and trying to malign the idea that you have. Yeah. Or, or just be naysayers. Like there, there enough pessimists in the world. I, I'm an eternal optimist, and and I think that works for me. I become irrational. I recognize that as well. So uh, there's so many people who are saying, "Why are they doing this? What's the difference?" PhD is over. Come on, guy. Tell me. Ah, exactly. I mean, what was he doing? What was he eating? This all. And then it's like that, that's why. Okay. Uh, so. Um, wrapping up the interview what are the five apps that you can't do without as of now okay um i use nearby every week so i'll start with that because i have to whatsapp linkedin um face yeah facebook and uh, headspace oh okay yeah. i haven't heard about headspace so headspace is a is a meditation app Wow. Um I took to medicate med- <laughs> it was medication <laughs> itself. I took to meditation about a little around 9 months back or so mm-hmm. and it's completely transformed. Wow. Yeah, it generally has. And it should be part of the curriculums in schools and I, colleges. I, I don't know why we're kind of, you know, not so giving it enough importance. Exactly. So there there was this so 40 years back if you told someone I'm going for a run, hmm. people were like who's chasing you? Right. Because they don't understand why people have to run. Right. Today everyone's running. Right. It's only fashionable to run. Hmm. Because your physical health has become of paramount importance. Hmm. It just shocks me how mental health is just not spoken about. Correct. Um now instances of depression, anxiety are Absolutely. so high in the entrepreneurial world, in fact anywhere else. Right. It's a it's considered a taboo going to a psychiatrist is considered True. to be a taboo and so on. You'd rather go to the pundits, right? Exactly. कुछ कर दो यज्ञ वग्न कर दो फूक फाक दो उटिंग 
Last year, the the book of the decade was The Shoe Dog by of Phil course, Knight. Of course, of course. I'm reading it right now. It was such a fascinating story about how Nike was built. And you recognize then, oh my God, that guy went through hell. Correct. For so long. Right. And we think, oh, Nike's story is very And scenario 1960s, starting out then. Exactly. <laughs> like there was no VC money. There's no concept of that. Guy taking debt was right. almost out of money every two right. months. Right. So what according to you is the difference between the startup ecosystem in India as compared to the West? Um, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's a difference based on harder things like regulation, like ease of doing business and so on. I genuinely believe that the fundamental difference between Silicon Valley and us is our inability to think of collaboration as a success tool. Wow. Um, we are protective yeah, like uh, competition for us is someone we have to kill because wow. again going back to the same thing that the only way you succeed is by killing someone uh, and I genuinely feel that it is disconcerting and it's disturbing how many startups and entrepreneurs don't share what's going on with them and they don't sit and collaborate they don't figure how they can collectively solve a problem because India is a massive problem set to be solved. Right. And no one's going to do it by themselves. No mm. one's superhuman. But it, it just surprises me that people don't want to work with each other. Collaboration is... And Silicon Valley, you, you, you walk in. Hmm. You walk in into cafes, you walk in into you know, startup offices and you say, I need help and people will help. Yeah. Because they don't have any qualms. They don't... Everything is in here. And they know that no one can touch what's here. Hmm. So what I say is just my wisdom but you can't, just because, like a lot of journalists, I gave you this example, a lot of journalists um, ask, you know, what's your PNL like? What's your profit? You know, what's your top line like? And I'm like, yeah, this is it. And then like, how come you're, you're so okay with sharing it? Because, and I say that, what's going to happen? Even if my competition had my PNL, they don't have what I have. They right. don't have my execution. Right. They don't have my strength. They don't have my team. So what will they do with PNL? Take it. Yeah, at least that's what. Thank you so much, Ankur, for taking Pleasure. our time. Thank you so much, Aparna. It was a pleasure. Thank you for the questions and the interaction.